Well, welcome everyone to Nerd Unscripted. Howdy. This is your host, Tony Leidig. And welcome to another week of discussion. I think we're like at number 14, maybe 13 or 14, somewhere around there. Um, and uh, before we got started, this is 4th of July week. And so I asked everyone what they were doing for the 4th. And uh, William made an astute observation. <laughs> he says, am I remembering correctly that you played with explosives as a kid? Uh, yes, yes, I did. <laughs> Quite a lot. Um, which is why I'm excited that that kind of stuff is legal again in Pennsylvania. Used to be you had to go to like Virginia to get stuff, but not so much now. Of course, my dad uh, reloaded his own um, rifle shells and all that kind of stuff. So I had ongoing access to pretty much as much black powder as I wanted. Um, way too much for <laughs> any curious young man to uh, have access to. But anyway, I digress. So, um, today I thought it would be fun to talk about something that Kristen and I actually spend a lot of time talking about, um, for one reason or another. And that is, excuse me for yawning, I don't know where that came from. Um, that is the topic of good and evil versus cause and effect. And, um, of course... One might think that the two are not related at all, but I would tend to disagree personally. And of course, you know, many of us grew up with the notion that um, our morality and all of those kinds of things were determined by good and evil. You know, you did things that were good, you did things that were bad. And uh, if you did good stuff, you got to go to heaven. If you did bad stuff, you got to go to hell. And so God and his angels were the perpetuators of all things good, along with Jesus, Holy Spirit, and Satan and all of his demons and everything were the perpetuators of all things evil or bad. And, I mean, you know, I grew up with that. I've shared my story of whenever I was young and my involvement in church and all those kinds of things. So, you know, I have very good frame of reference on good versus evil. And, of course, we see it uh, all the time. You know, we see it in um, movies and stories. I mean, hell, we see it in real life, you know. And what I find curious about good versus evil, I'm not saying that there isn't one or the other, because obviously there is, um, is, you know, I, I remember reading people or reading somebody one time who made a statement of, you know, I wish the world would just be uh, rid of evil. That way we could all live in peace and harmony and all of that. And why did God ever create the devil to begin with? And, you know, questions like that, comments like that. And I remember when it finally occurred to me that, you know, without the contrast of good and evil, you can't understand uh, like what love really is without a contrast. You can't understand what good really is without a contrast. Now, it's not to say that we need to invite bad into our lives so we can better appreciate the good stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. But um, it's, a, it's a curious thing for me to think about and consider this whole thing of good and evil for one specific reason. And I'll get to that in just a minute. But 
you know, um, I remember growing up, there were certain things that, you know, were good versus uh, seen as bad or evil. And I never could really understand the concept behind it all, you know, uh, apart from fear. Okay, I'll, I'll just qualify that. So apart from fear, like I was afraid of being bad or doing bad things, although I wasn't quite sure what those bad things might be. <laughs> I just knew that I needed to be good, you know, somehow, you know, the whole judge's scale kind of thing. And that if I was bad, somehow, you know, God would whack me with a ruler. And of course, that's kind of silly to think about, but yet there's an underlying belief that many carry that equate essentially to that same concept. And so um, I didn't necessarily understand what bad was, um, but I started to notice a few things. One was that uh, the church that I was going to at the time, it was a Church of God uh, denomination church, and uh, this is whenever I was a teenager and before, you know. So in my pre-teens and teen years is primarily when we went there. And we were heavily involved in all of that. But um, I remember certain Sundays where uh, the pastor, we had a female pastor, and she would invite people to come up to the altar to rededicate their lives okay to God and I would always see like the leadership of the church going up like every time they did this and I'm like and I remember thinking as a kid like these are our leaders how much do they sin you know like I, I just couldn't get my head around it like are they really doing that much bad stuff that they have to constantly rededicate their lives like I just didn't get it at all you know and of course um, later, I realized that there was this constant state of needing to repent and rededicate and all this kind of stuff because every sermon was focused on sinning, you know, all the bad stuff. And I remember one time, like, they had this rule in the denomination that um, basically said that, you know, boys can't dance with girls and, you know, you shouldn't... Um, you shouldn't do co-ed swimming and stuff like that because you know, being close to a girl or seeing her in a bathing suit or something might cause you to lust after her, which of course is bad. And I'm putting that in quotes with my fingers since you can't see me. And it confused me uh, a lot because, you know, I told dad, I said, you know, I don't get it because, you know, I said, to be honest with you, I don't need to see a girl in a bathing suit to lust after. I mean, that's like, they're kind of hot, you know? It's like, I like them. I like women. And, uh, you know, so he tried to explain. He's like, well, you know, you got to keep your desires in check and blah, 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 you know, whatever. And it still made no sense to me. And so, um, you know, mom and dad uh, were becoming members of that church. And, of course, uh, I was in my teens, 14, 15, somewhere around there, I think, at the time. And... So they wanted me to be a member too. So it was a, like a family thing. And I had two sisters as well. Um, and they, well, my youngest sister, she wasn't old enough to care. So, you know, and then uh, Terry, who's three years younger than me, you know, she was on board and I wouldn't do it. 
And, uh, you know, so they would press me why I wouldn't become a member. And I'm like, because of all the extra rules, you know, like they're defining to me what's right and wrong. Um, like I can't make those choices for myself. So you have the Bible that's dictating what's right and wrong. And then you have additional, you know, rules and regulations that I would have to follow that dictate what's right and wrong. But what if it isn't wrong to me? Like, what if I don't see one of their rules as wrong? So that's kind of how I thought as a kid, as a teenager, you know, always kind of bucking the system, not just for the sake of doing so. I mean, I was pretty hardcore into apologetics in my late teens and early 20s. Um, I could I could argue with the best of them. You know, I mean, I would I would like to go up to the uh, boardwalk uh, when I lived in New Jersey to find, you know, the cult folks that would stand there with the big signs and say everybody's going to hell except for them uh, and argue with them, spend hours debating with them just be for sport. Like, I knew that I wouldn't convince them and they wouldn't convince me. Um, so I would just do it for sport. And uh, same with um, uh, some of the other... Um, belief systems, you know, right or wrong. Uh, to me, it doesn't matter now. But I remember like Jehovah Witness and different ones like that would come by the house. And uh, uh, after I was married and living here when my girls were little, and I remember, um, you know, they would come and debate and uh, or they would want to like convert me and whatever. And I read their books. I knew what the story was. I was very well versed in it. And uh, so they would, you know, come and talk to me and try to convince me that they were right. And I wouldn't try to convince them that I was right. I'd just try to, uh, you know, I'd just debate them on their own points. And most of the time they would leave very frustrated. And so later on I discovered that my house became a kind of like a research thing. Like they would send new teams to our house to talk to me. And at first I didn't pick up on that until I realized that they seemed to be coming back on a very regular basis and that they were sharing notes because they knew things that I had said to the previous team that was there. And uh, so that kind of clued me in on what was going on. And so I was very good at circular reasoning and asking questions that I knew they had to answer yes to uh, to get them to state things that ultimately they would normally not ever share, you know, with people. And so I was really good at that and they would get frustrated and leave. And, um, and my whole point in all of that is that it wasn't that I was just trying to be an ass, you know, to these folks or anything like that. Uh, on the contrary, I was curious, you know, I wanted to learn, I wanted to understand I wanted to get behind the psyche of why they were, you know, so compelled to convince me that, you know, that they were right and I was wrong. So ultimately, it came down to this good versus evil thing. And listen, you know, let me just say that, you know, whether you're Jehovah Witness yourself or Mormon or Christian or Buddhist or whatever, I don't care. You know, we each have our own personal spiritual path that we have to follow. And if you get fulfillment in that particular path, who am I to judge it? It's not my place. Um, In other words, I've grown up a little bit since I was in my 20s. 
um, you know, because each of our paths are unique. Uh, and so I can't dictate to you right and wrong. That is my point. Um, because one of the things that I discovered was there were things that, you know, one religious group thought was wrong and the other, another religious group had no problem with. So which was it? Was it good or evil? Okay. Um, and even within Christian circles, right? Some denominations felt that, um, like their definition of good and evil or right or wrong was different than other denominations and their definitions of what was good and evil. And that created quite a crisis for me because I'm not a status quo person and I'm certainly not somebody that follows the path of do as I say, not as I do, um, or anything even remotely related to that. Uh, so that's why, as I've shared before, I just question everything uh, just for the sake of discovery, you know, for the sake of learning. And uh, I remember even, I think I might have shared this story before, but I remember talking with um, a, a guy, uh, grew up Mennonite, and a church that uh, my family was involved with for a while. Um, when we first moved back to Pennsylvania, we were attending this church, and it's ultimately the church that I um, was in leadership for. Uh, but the before I was in leadership, the previous pastor uh, was a Mennonite guy and um, had some really interesting discussions with him um, with regard to good and evil and right and wrong. And uh, one of the funny things that, a couple funny things that he shared with me growing up Mennonite was that um, men never wore white shirts because uh, wearing white was considered prideful and you trying to put yourself on the same level as God because of purity. So they never wear white shirts. Um, they uh, Women um, were never allowed to have their elbows uncovered because... Um, elbows they thought kind of looked like boobs <laughs> breasts and so they uh, women had to keep their elbows covered so that it wouldn't tempt men to lust after them in some form which I have to admit um, being a guy who loves women um, I mean I'm married of course but uh, still I appreciate the females um, for who they are and how they were created different from men um, can't say that I was ever really turned on by boobs or by elbows, excuse me. <laughs> elbows, let's clarify that. Uh, but to them, it was wrong. Okay. To them, wearing a white shirt was wrong. Uh, women with their elbows uncovered was wrong. It was evil. And obviously, in other races, you know, other people groups, other heritages, other, you know, whatever, religious beliefs that wasn't wrong you know i mean in africa you go over there and hell women barely wear anything and to them that's fine you know in western society uh you would end up in prison so a couple questions arose um for me naturally one was um is good and evil really that subjective and if it is subjective who are the ones making the rules and does that mean that I have to listen to them? 
So it breaks down into a couple different thoughts. One is involving morality. Okay. Um, another is social acceptance and changing times. And who's the better marketer? I mean, if you get right down to it, there are a lot of things perpetuated today in mainstream media that are shocking compared to how life was 50 years ago, even 10 years ago. You know, it's shocking what people are perpetuating now, you know, as okay. So what that tells me is with regard to good and evil, it's entirely subjective. Okay, which means that whoever, you're, depending on who you're talking to and depending on who's making up the rules, um, you might be doing something that's good or you might be doing something that's bad. And I have a real problem with that. Because how are you going to know? Like, if we use good and evil to determine how we live our lives... How the hell are you going to possibly keep up when it's constantly changing depending on who you're talking to? Because ultimately you discover things like what's happening now where some people will vilify something for an agenda, not because they believe it's wrong, but because they are trying to perpetuate an agenda. So it's politicized. And it's not like this is a new thing. I mean, hell, they did that back, you know, uh, like the councils that met, you know, way back almost 2000 years ago, you know, Nisi, Trent, um, some of the different councils, you know, they would come together and say, well, what should we keep in the Bible and what should we remove? And ultimately their decisions of what was God ordained or not ultimately came down to what they believed in their own political system. So God forbid they give women any kind of encouragement at all. So certain verses or certain books of the Bible that elevated women to a place equal with men, those were gone. So it came down to what served them politically. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Just like today. And so, again, we go back to good versus evil. So what? what's evil? Well, you know, women having a say in anything is evil. Says who? You? Because that's what you personally believe? Because you're a womanizer? Sorry, you know, that just don't work for me. Um, and so, you know, we take one race of people and say that they're evil. You know, they're bad. Why? Because their skin color is different. You know, I mean, it's ridiculous. And so good and evil has been used as a weapon for years. I mean, if anything has been weaponized in our subconscious and conscious minds, it's good versus evil. Okay. Because it's 100% subjective. And so in my own personal journey to understand good versus evil and all that kind of stuff. Um, I started looking for an alternative. An alternative response. Something that was data driven or non-subjective to interpretation. Okay. Uh, because I mean... If you even think about like us personally and how we perceive certain things, you know, we can project our personal belief into a situation and then judge the situation based on our projection. 
Does that mean that it's right or wrong? Not necessarily. We make it that way. And it's a choice. Okay? But we project. All of us do it to a certain extent. You better be careful. I mean, my dad would constantly warn me, you know, well, you better be careful, son. You know, just, you know, be careful what you're doing. Be careful what you're talking about and all this. And I'm like, why? Like, why should I be careful? Because you never know. Like, I never know what. Like, what are you talking about? This was like a paraphrased actual discussion with my dad years ago. Um, he's been gone almost 10 years, so it's been quite a while. What do you mean you never know? It's like, well, do you know for sure that if you continue to do X, Y, Z, and I don't remember what you're talking about now, but do you know for sure that if Jesus were to return while you were doing that, that it would prevent you from going to heaven? And I'm thinking, oh, dear God, you know, Really? You know, and so my counter to him was, you mean to tell me that, let's take profanity, for instance, you know, I said, you mean to tell me that if Billy Graham, who was like the most righteous person I could think of on the planet at the, in that discussion, if Billy Graham was out in his garage building something and the hammer slipped and he whacked his thumb and said, damn it. And then dropped over dead from a heart attack or Jesus returned in a rapture or whatever, that he would go to hell because he said, damn it, right before that event happened. Like, we're talking right or wrong here. And dad would say, I don't know. You never know. So I'm going to live my life walking on eggshells for fear that I may do something wrong that I'm completely unaware of just in hopes that I somehow, whenever I kick the button bucket, that I get to go to heaven. Like, how is that living life? You know, I always struggle with that. And so ultimately, you know, I just kind of took the approach to agree to disagree because, um, like, I'm not talking about, you know, some idiot going out and killing people with a gun or knife or, you know, whatever, you know, guns aren't like, weapons don't kill people people kill people i mean it's pretty ordinary i mean if you think about it uh it's like no gun ever woke up one morning and said i'm gonna go shoot people you know people think that and so uh so i was on this quest to try to figure out you know if good and evil is really that subjective and it's not just subjective to me, it's subjective for everybody. It's no wonder that, you know, the powers that be take their liberties because, you know, they figure, well, if it's subjective, we're going to use it to control people. You know, we will be the ones to dictate what's right and wrong. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have laws. We need laws. I'm not saying that you know, then I'm a fan of anarchy because I'm not. But I mean, with you see what happens whenever, you know, society starts going downhill, you have anarchy. And it's like the craziest thing, like normal people uh, in normal situations don't randomly walk into electronic stores and steal stuff. But yet 
you have rioting start, and all of a sudden that's the first thing they do. Like, where the hell are you going to put five televisions? You know? But you see people, like, loading up their car with televisions and stuff. I mean, it's the craziest, silliest, stupidest thing ever. You know, it's like, it's wrong until rioting starts, and then all of a sudden it's not wrong anymore in their mind, at least for a moment. Hey, I might be able to get away with this. So is right and wrong just a matter of what we can get away with without fear of repercussion? Like, is that right or wrong? Is that good and evil? Um, you know, some serious questions to think about. So I'm, I'm looking for an alternative. And uh, I remember watching... I guess it was one of the Matrix movies. I think it was the second Matrix movie. Um, <clears throat> and the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the French guy uh, in the second movie was talking about cause and effect. And it got me thinking. So cause and effect. Uh, and we know about, you know, well, some of us, I guess, know about some of the scientific laws, quote-unquote, that say things like, to every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. You know, so we see these laws that are in effect in the world around us. And we know that, you know, if you take an axe and you bring it down on your hand and cut your hand off, uh, right or wrong, good or evil, your hand is now detached cause and effect, right? You drink a, a glass of Drano, it's probably going to kill you, cause and effect. And so I started, <laughs> random examples that pop into my head. Um, so I started thinking about that a lot. You know, well, if good and evil is subjective, is cause and effect subjective? Like, can I manipulate cause and effect to my own benefit or my own gain? That was kind of the approach that I took. You know, can can I use cause and effect as a weapon? And I, I discovered a few things in that uh, path of reasoning. And this is over the course of years. It's still something that I think about, talk about on a fairly regular basis. So, um, the conclusion that I came to is that cause and effect is a, a much a much more black and white view of life. Okay, um, the thing that I love about cause and effect is that emotion is removed from it, whereas good and evil is emotion driven. It's feelings driven. Uh, and people get extremely worked up over what they perceive as good or they perceive as evil. And someone else violates that, that belief in them. And so it's extremely volatile, extremely emotional, but yet cause and effect, those motion, emotions are removed. They're gone. So, um, while we acknowledge the fact that taking a gun or a knife or any, anything, baseball bat, whatever, and attacking someone with it, 
that morally and according to the law, that is wrong. Okay. And I mean, you know, we shouldn't go around taking other people's lives. They're not ours to take. Um, so we know that that's morally wrong. But uh, from a cause and effect perspective, you point a gun at somebody and pull the trigger, guess what's going to happen? They may not die, but it's going to affect their life. It's going to change their life. And guess what? It's going to change yours too, because now the laws come into effect if you're caught. And there's consequences. You know, there's consequences to your actions. Unfortunately, what I found is that many people live their life based on the belief that there are no consequences. And that's where we can get into trouble. Okay? Con the idea of consequences comes from karma. Okay? Um, you know, you reap what you sow. We are programmed for that. We are programmed. And Chris and I have conversations all the time. It's like, you know, karma seems to take its good old damn time, you know, coming back. Because you see some people, they're constantly doing stupid stuff to others. And it seems like there's no consequence, you know. And so consequences are a good thing as long uh, from a cause and effect perspective, as long as we're not the ones doing the stupid shit, you know. So road rage, whatever, you know. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. You never see them as the ones being pulled over by the police. You never see them being the ones that run into a telephone pole. So cause and effect, you know, because they cut me off in traffic, that's the cause. The effect should be that they run into a telephone pole or get pulled over by the police. Yet that seems to never happen. So is that true cause and effect? You know, and where is... The consolation in it all that somehow the people who are doing the causing get theirs right it's a hell of a thing to think about if you think about it i mean it really is one of those things so where do those thoughts and discussions and ideas and like what is really just which is kind of what we're talking about justice you know what is really just and to play devil's advocate for a moment, uh, who's determining what's just? Who who sets those rules, right? And within this discussion, it makes it very curious, very easy. And I'll be honest with you, I'm just like the rest of you. You know, there are times where, uh, you know, like, um, let's take my online courses and stuff, for instance. You know, over the years that I've been doing this, 12 years, um, I've had people, customers, you know, people that have come in and paid money for my courses and then posted them on black hat sites so that they could sell them for free and keep all the money or sell them for whatever and keep the money. It's theft, digital theft. It's wrong according to the law and it's a violation. I mean, I felt violated at different times and yet there are folks out there and some of whom, some of them, I know exactly who they are. I know their names. I know where they live. They're not in this country, but they've been doing it for years and they, they steal from 
hundreds of marketers and other people online. And it seems like they never get caught. They built legitimate, legitimate in quotes, businesses around stealing and remarketing other people's content. So when are they going to get theirs? Like, where are the police? You know, even if they're reported, which I have reported some of them. Like, where are the police? Where's the FBI? Where is it when it comes to, you know, justice, quote unquote? Where the hell is karma? You know, where's karma? Now, how does that factor into me living my life? Should it be that I just don't care anymore and just let it go and say, you know what? They're going to get there at some point. Should I obsess about it and think about it and get allow it to get me worked up and pissed off and say, you know what? Fuck it. I ain't going to do any more courses. Is that the right response? Is that the right answer? Um, you know, should I drain my bank accounts? in an effort to fight against injustice in the online space and take these suckers down? Like, is that the response? Is what they're doing really evil versus good? You know, where is the effect in the cause? Uh, And so these are the kind of dilemmas that we're constantly faced with. You know, and how do we know what the right choice is? That's the question. And so what I found with cause and effect that is while I really prefer cause and effect over good and evil as a descriptor, you know, of what we should or shouldn't do, you know, if you're married, you go out and cheat and you have sex with somebody, there's going to be an effect, especially if your wife finds out, your husband finds out, you know, could be a pregnancy involved, whatever. So then, is it right or wrong? You know, in some cultures, it's right. You know, people who are swingers, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, so you can't apply good and evil because some folks are okay with it. Other folks are not. What's the cause and effect? Well, there could be emotional baggage that comes along with it. There could be a lot of other things. So, you know... I think that in a lot of respects, cause and effect is the better judge, if you will. But ultimately, when it comes down to the wrongs done to me, does cause and effect work? And the wrongs done to you, does cause and effect work? And my quest for understanding that has had some very interesting twists in it. Some that I didn't quite expect. One thing that I've learned is that it's real easy for us to lock in to um, certain types of crusades, if you will, you know, uh, in the name of justice. When the reality is that we are reacting to a reflection of ourselves. You know, people, the people around us are mirrors. And uh, 
so we have uh, we have this tendency to judge ourselves based on our rules of good and evil, based on our rules of cause and effect. Like I did something, why hasn't something happened? Um, this became very real to me um, several years ago. As most, if not all of you know, um, I was married previously uh, to Deborah. Um, we got married in the mid eighties. And uh, of course we had two girls. And uh, we divorced about 10 years ago, not quite 10 years ago. It'll be 10 years this fall uh, after being married for 21 years. And the curious thing about the divorce is that it was a lot of misunderstanding um, and lack of communication is really what led to a lot of it. Um, there was no cheating involved or anything like that, um, you know, going into it. And it was just, I mean, it was what it was. Um, there was definitely two sides to the argument. We were both guilty of certain, you know, certain issues. So I can't place all the blame on her. I can't take all the blame on myself. Um, but one of the things that was a bit surprising to me was that, you know, after moving through that and my dad passing and all of that and rediscovering who I was with a single, as a single guy, um, it was, it was very weird and scary from the perspective of, um, you know, wife, two daughters, two dogs, three cats, all of us living here at home. And now all of a sudden I'm 100% empty nested with no pets. Uh, and it was a shock. I mean, it was a serious shock to my system. There were things that um, I know in our marriage I could have done better or differently. And I was very clear on uh, addressing those shortcomings within myself to be, be a better person, to become a better person. So, I, you know, most of my life I've been constantly focused on um, personal development, personal growth, and all of that. So I'm constantly in introspective, um, even more so probably now than ever. But um, I got about four years in after the divorce, about four years after the divorce, um, I had the house here. Uh, and I was traveling a lot, doing a lot of road trips. And I had dated a few gals. They were mostly long distance type relationships, a little bit local, but not much. I hated the dating scene, to be honest with you. hated it. Um, but the house here was basically just a place to sleep. It was kind of like a hotel room. You know, it was just me. Um, Courtney had lived with me for a little bit and Blossom, her cat, was here with me for a while until she went to Kitty Heaven. Uh, <laughs> but um, I didn't have like any furniture in, in the living room. I, I didn't even have carpet in the living room. So I figured, hey, I have this free room. I'm going to turn it into a photo studio, which I did. And, um, you know, I didn't have like my dining room table was a card table and fold up chairs. Um, I had a used bed that a buddy of mine gave to me because I didn't have a bed. Um, plastic dresser, you know, dressers to hold my clothes. Uh, that's how I lived. But I also had, you know, 
$40,000 worth of camera gear and a big screen TV and some of those kinds of things. And I was making, I don't know, 140, 150 grand a year at that time. So it wasn't that I didn't have money. Like that wasn't an issue at all. It's that I had no connection to what was going on and I didn't really understand why. And part of the story I've shared before, not all of it. Um, but my sister came over one day and I was on this baking kick. I started doing a lot of baking. My mom taught me how to bake and cook whenever I was young. And uh, so I was making cookies and all kinds of stuff. And then I'd photograph them and, of course, eat them <laughs> because cookies, you know. Um, and I was doing a lot of soups and stuff like that. And my sister came over to visit one day to get something from me. And she's like, what's going on with you? And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, Tony, look at your house. Like, you have no furniture. And I said, I don't really need any furniture. I'm on road trips half the time. You know, I can work wherever I want. I was very proud of that fact. And um, she said, so then what's up with all the baking and stuff? I'm like, I like cookies. I'm hungry for cookies. And she's like, I don't think it's that. And I'm like, well, what do you think it is? She's like, I think you miss home. I'm like, I am home. And she said, Tony, this is not a home. This is a house that you've turned into a hotel. <laughs> this is not a home. And I'm like, you're crazy. You know, I don't know what you're talking about. And so she's like, just think about it, okay? And so she left. And it made me mad. I got angry with her. Like, what's she talking about? This isn't a home. Of course it's a home. I've been here. I built this place. Not personally, you know, my my checkbook built the place. Um, and she don't know what she's talking about and all of that. But then I started, you know, after I got past the initial uh, reaction to what she said, and actually I gave myself permission to think about what she said, I realized that she was right. That I was missing having a home. But I didn't know why. Like, I... Because I visited my girls on a regular basis and all of that, you know. And I didn't understand why. So, ultimately, what I realized... This is what I discovered. And this all ties into cause and effect. Right and wrong. Okay. Um, one day I realized that the reason why I hadn't created a home for myself, even though I was still living in the house is because I was punishing myself because I felt guilt around the divorce, even though we both agreed that it was the right choice, uh, and all of that. I mean, you know, we did the whole thing together and, uh, I felt guilt around it. Um, I felt guilty for having money and having a successful business when uh, my ex-wife was struggling. I felt guilty for having a nicer car and she didn't have a car to drive that was worth anything. Um, even though I gave her a car, <laughs> you know, gave her all the furniture, gave her all of everything except for my office equipment and my camera. My cameras, that's it. I gave her everything else. Um, but I felt guilty. And I felt like I didn't deserve to be happy. And to have all these things, nice things in my house because 
I did something wrong. That was my perception. I did something wrong. You know, and even from a cause and effect perspective, you know, I divorced my wife or we, I didn't divorce her. It was a mutual decision. So I'm just using that for ease of discussion. I did something that growing up in church, I was told was wrong. Divorce is bad. Divorce is evil. And so because of that, I committed this evil act. So cause the effect should be that I should suffer. And so I was, you know, and then one day it hit me that that whole deal was convoluted. I didn't have to punish myself. Like I had developed this martyr complex that somehow by me going without that would justify it somehow. I was doing penance for what I perceived to be wrong. And then it hit me. I didn't do anything wrong. We both made choices, but I didn't do anything wrong that would warrant me not having a home or furniture or whatever. And so I made a different choice. And right there is the magic word. I made a different choice. And the choice was to let it go. Accept it for what it was as a part of my life, as a part of what made me who I am today. Um, I have my girls and now four grandbabies. Um, and that's a wonderful, beautiful thing. My ex-wife and I still talk. We still are friends. It was a beautiful thing. And I gave myself permission to be happy. That it was okay. I didn't have to keep sabotaging stuff. I didn't have to keep feeling guilty about stuff. I was focused on the past. I was trying to create the effect response from the cause. Isn't that creepy? Like, why do we do shit like that? And so I let it go. You want to know what happened? In two weeks, I bought an entire house full of furniture. I bought a brand new car. And I created a home for myself. And you know what? I haven't looked back. I haven't regretted it at all. I haven't felt guilty over the divorce or anything like that. I mean, now I'm remarried, of course, with, with Kristen. Um, but um, that ultimately led to some really solid conversations that my ex-wife and I had um, that helped um, open up some of the um, assumptions that were made at, at the time that ultimately were not true. You know, things she believed about me, things I believed about her. And uh, it brought healing. And so I guess through this journey, and it's certainly ongoing, the one thing that I've learned probably more than anything else is that we have to be really careful not to um, so harshly judge ourselves to be careful how we define what's good and evil because it isn't necessarily. Uh, and even from a cause and effect perspective to 
recognize that just maybe we're using a foundation that was ingrained in us of good versus evil to somehow make things right in our own beliefs from a cause and effect perspective. Like, how did I get away with this? You know, why? Like, I did this. I'm a horrible person. But yet, things are really going my way. My business is exploding. I have a great car. Um, I'm making great connections, but I'm a horrible person. And so we get stuck in this vicious cycle of, you know, good and evil duking it out inside our psyche of cause and effect duking it out inside our psyche and we're the ones that are the whole time like i I won't say we're victims because we're there by choice ultimately we feel that we need to do you know to suffer or whatever um but my challenge to you is what would happen if remember that question from several weeks ago so what would happen if you chose to just stop and say, you know what? It really didn't make sense for me to keep beating myself up about X, Y, Z. It really doesn't serve me to get upset and angry at my mom every time I see her. It really doesn't help my health condition, my blood pressure, whatever, to be pissed off every time I'm in traffic and I can't go anywhere. Uh, it really doesn't serve my cause to, you know, try to take down all the assholes that are ripping off my trainings. Like, it doesn't ultimately serve me. So then the question becomes, uh, as an alternative to right or wrong, good or evil, cause and effect, the question becomes, what's going to make me the better person? What choice can I make that's going to make me a better person? Now, I understand that better person, quote unquote, is subjective. Your idea of being a better person is going to be different than my idea of being a better person. But it's not my job to tell you what you being a better person looks like. Okay, it's your journey. It's not mine. So it's not my place to tell you any more than it's your place to tell me unless I'm doing something that's harming you in some way that's different then you should whack me up alongside the head and say knock it off right but the choice is yours we always have a choice we always have the power choice is one thing that nobody could ever steal from us okay even though there could be situations where we are um Uh, incapable of making choices physically. Like, let's say we do something stupid and end up incarcerated. Um, You can make a choice every day, every second to walk out of the prison scot-free, but guess what? You're going to serve your time. But you do have a choice of how you address that time of what you do with your mind in that time. You, so you still have a choice. So you may not have a choice in certain types of things, 
but you do have a choice in others. And that's what we tend to forget. You know what? We get locked into these cycles and it's the same old thing every day. We see these repeating cycles all the time. Why do I keep dating losers? You know, why do I keep dating crazy women? A good example from my life. You know, <laughs> why does it seem like every woman I choose to date seems crazy? Well, it's not that they're crazy. It's just that their version of life and my version of life are not incompatible. Doesn't make them crazy any more than it makes me crazy. It's just a compatibility issue. So it isn't right or wrong. Oh man, they're insane. Why are they so insane? Well, because they did X, Y, Z. Now I'm justifying it and I'm judging them and I'm determining what's wrong for them. Okay. Now it may be legitimately bad or whatever, but is it my place? No. So what do I do? Walk away, make a different choice. That's what we can always do. Make a different choice. And so choosing to not do anything is still choosing. It's still a choice. So rather than good or evil, good or bad, cause and effect, I see the real secret to life as choice. And choice is the most ultimate power of all. We have the ability to choose, the ability to create because we're creators. We can create everything, anything. And creation isn't just about making a cool sculpture or painting a painting or, you know, sculpting dinosaurs out of gourds, which of course I love, but that isn't just being creative. It isn't coming up with a cool new course around public domain content, which I love, and many of you do as well, but that's, that's not being creative. I mean, it is, but it isn't just that. We have the ability to create our lives however we want. We may not be able to see the end result. We may not, I mean, the uh, appearance may be to the contrary of what we want. You know, I mean, I'd love to sit here and tell you that I made $100 million this year, but I'd be lying. You know, I haven't. But by the same token, nothing is preventing me from making certain choices or decisions to create a completely different reality for myself, to create a completely different life that isn't constantly keeping me in this, you know, bumper pull, pool table kind of thing of bouncing off of every freaking circumstance that arises, which is how many of us live our lives. You know, we're just boom, 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 bouncing back and forth like a freaking pinball machine. You know, uh, rather than taking our lives by the horns and saying, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore. You know, screw the bumpers. I'm not bouncing off of this circumstance anymore. I'm making a different choice. That's power right there. Like that's power and nobody can stop you short of blowing your brains out, <coughs> which isn't going to happen in most cases. So that's the challenge that I want to leave you with today is rather than mess around with right or wrong, good and evil and all of that. And I get it. You know, many of you probably go to church and, and I'm, again, I'm not on you about your beliefs or whatever. You can still choose to believe that my challenge or admonishment to you is to question why you believe it. 
Okay? Question it. Don't just take a hook, line, and sinker. It just makes you a sheep. You know? Um, I don't make a very good sheep. And then also, rather than think about, you know, just simple cause and effect. And by the way, I haven't stated it yet, but yes, cause and effect can be manipulated just like good and evil. Okay? It can be manipulated. And it's also not the ultimate judge. You know, I thought it was at one point. I thought it was a force of nature, you know, just like, you know, the second law of thermodynamics. I thought that it was a force of nature. It isn't. And so uh, cause and effect ultimately in some forms has its root in our belief of good and bad. And you need to keep that in mind. So cause and effect for you is going to be different than cause and effect for me. What makes a difference? Doing the same act, by the way, whatever that act might be. So why is it different? Because of the underlying belief system that you have versus me. And But the beautiful constant that I have seen come to the surface is our ability to choose we have the ability to make a different choice any moment of any time of the day or night. And so whenever the bank account is low and we have more bills than what we can pay, we've all been there at one point or another in our lives, right? Most of us. So whenever we're facing that, we have a choice. You know, we think cause and effect. Well, I didn't do enough work and so I don't have enough money. It isn't that. We can choose to freak out and get stressed out and cry and talk to people and beg and try to borrow money and all that kind of stuff. Or we can choose and trust that somehow or another, I don't know how, it's going to work out. And my personal experience, not just with money and stuff like that, but in pretty much everything, my personal experience has been that whenever I make that choice to not stress out, to not worry, to not do it, like why would I want to create more of that in my life? That makes zero sense to me. But rather than just freak out and, you know, check out, uh, to just trust that, it, you know, there's no amount of stress and worry and complaining and crying and bitching and moaning that I can do that's going to make my situation better. So why do any of that? Like, why do any of that? It's my choice to not do that. And so I don't. Uh, even last night, I was taking um, my grandkiddos to gymnastics, and my daughter was with me. And uh, she's like, I have something going on. I don't know what it is. I'm running a little bit of a fever. Um, you know, so I just wanted to let you know, because, you know, just so that, you know, I don't want to give it to you. <laughs> and I looked over at her and I said, oh, no worries. Like, I won't get it whether you try to give it to me or not. Like, it just won't happen. And she's like, why is that? And I'm like, I'm allergic to sickness. And she just looked at me and laughed. You know, but I'm not going to get it. It's my choice to not get it. Okay? Like, that's just my choice. And... uh and so when a lot of other people are getting the flu and all that kind of stuff, whatever, I don't. And I mean, that's just 
me, you know. But the beautiful thing is that, again, you have a choice. So if you don't like the crap that's going on in your life right now, don't blame good and evil cause and effect. Recognize that those forces are working in your life. But good and evil cause and effect, guess what? The, uh, the moment you embrace a new choice, they can't argue with it. It's kind of like being in a dark room and flipping a light switch and all of a sudden the light comes on. The darkness, before you make that uh, flip that switch, the darkness may feel overwhelming. It may feel like oppressive. You can't even see your hand in front of your face. But the moment you find that light switch and flip it on, the, the darkness can't stop the light. Can't stop it. Choice is the same way. Choice is the light switch. Um, and so the moment you decide to make the choice to flip the switch, cause and effect, you know, good and evil, it can't stop it. Now, if you do something that violates the law, effect will be right there to help you <laughs> be judged, incarcerated, whatever, you know, jury of your peers, <laughs> whatever the case may be. This is not a license to kill. Literally, it's not a license to just go out and do stupid shit and think that you're going to get off scot-free. That You've missed the whole point, if that's ultimately what you believe that I said. Uh, what I'm saying is that we can take our life under control and create what we want by simple choices rather than, you know, being the ball in a pinball machine going from bumper to bumper and flipper to flipper uh, with no control, just based on these crazy cause and effect dynamics or, you know, belief systems that are completely subjective. Now, um, I want to go to the questions and comments here in just a moment, but one last thing that popped into my head, which is kind of how I teach, if you haven't figured that out. Everything that I say is based on what comes to me in the moment, so none of this is pre-rehearsed. I had no idea that this was actually going to take the direction that it did. Um, so that's kind of fun for me. But the thought that came to me was that there are some things that you will uh, choose to believe as wrong. Like my mom, you know, she was here for breakfast early. She comes every Tuesday and Thursday. And... My mom is always going to believe that you shouldn't use profanity. Um, she sees it as wrong. And if I say something in front of her, certain words she just lets go, you know. But there's other things that I know better than to say in front of my mom, <laughs> you know. And she believes that, you know, for her, um, how she grew up, what her beliefs are, that that's wrong. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. It's her choice. It's her life. It's her experience. And so if that's what she chooses to embrace, I have no problem with it. And being her son, I want to do what I can to respect those beliefs. But for me, 
my beliefs are different. You know, not that I'm going to use profanity all the time, especially when it comes to degrading people or those kinds of things. But uh, it's just a, a silly example. There's a lot that we could give, you know, along those lines. So again, it goes back to what I've said earlier. Like, I'm not here to say your beliefs, your choices are right or wrong, unless you're violating agreed upon laws of the land. That's different. Um, I mean, you know, you may be Republican, think all the Democrats are insane. You may be a Democrat thinking all the Republicans are insane. You know, you may be neither and think everybody's insane. Who's right and who's wrong? It doesn't matter. We each have a choice, you know, and you can choose to embrace whatever aligns with what you feel you are as a person. So anyway, that's my personal thoughts on the matter. Tony says, he's assuming that God made the devil. What if it was the other way around on a day when the devil decided to get himself someone to have contest against to test himself or for fun? That's a very interesting way of looking at it. Absolutely. It's kind of like yin and yang even. You know, you can't understand one without the other. They're inseparable. William says, apparently you just love to attract all kinds of different things to your house. Who or what is coming next? Lord, <laughs> who knows? I have no idea. Uh, Kathleen brings up a really good point. Um, from the point of view of biology, anthropology, some behavior promotes the survival of the species, cooperation, generosity, kindness, intelligence, adaptability, inventiveness, and some endangers it, like killing, incest, envy, selfishness, violence, recklessness, wallowing in anger, etc. Cultures tend to enshrine the qualities that help survival in their environment. Marvin Harris is a fun read on this topic. Very cool. I, I like that idea, and it actually makes a lot of sense. So, and I'll definitely check out that. I'm not familiar with that name, I don't think. I'll check that out. Which, by the way, I think, Kathleen, it was you who recommended this, but the um, the Michael stuff. So I bought the, uh, the first book. I guess it's the 25th anniversary of it or whatever. Um... <laughs> very very cool and interesting uh read so far i'm really enjoying it a lot <clears throat> excuse me i had not read any of that before but it's very very interesting i'll just put it that way uh kathleen also shares some of the medieval sufis wrote of the difference between good behavior according to religious authorities and actually good behavior <laughs> That's a very interesting distinction. Mavis says, stuff that would prevent me from going to heaven as a kid. Talking back, also known as asking questions, spilling milk, dropping a dish or a bit of food, and so on. Mother made me kneel down and pray to Jesus for forgiveness. And even when I was small, I couldn't figure out 
why Jesus would even care if I drop, spill it, or ask something. See, that's how my brain worked. Like, I, I just couldn't wrap my head around the idea of why the God of the universe and all that that means, right? Like 7 billion people on the planet and millions of other planets and all the stuff that requires constant operation. Like, why would God care if I dropped a bowl and spilled food or something? Like, I'm with you on that. Like, I just didn't, it did not compute to me. It made zero sense. Like, surely God has better things to do than to care if I'm asking questions that my parents or somebody else is uncomfortable with answering. Well, do as I say, not as I do, you know. We've all heard that one probably, right? Anyway. Tony says, I once had a road rager follow me to give me an earache for his mistake until I drove into the local police station. Yeah, I actually had something very similar to that happen to me not long ago. A dude cut me off in traffic. And I blew my horn. Because he cut me off in traffic. Like, he violated the track. Like, you know, drove right through a stop sign or something like that. And cut me off. And so I blew my horn at him. And he stopped in the middle of the road and got out of the car. And he's, like, yelling at me, screaming at me, all this kind of stuff. And I just sat there and smiled at him. You know, fortunately, unfortunately, I wasn't close to the police station. But that's a great idea. I might have to keep that one in mind. Uh, uh, Kathleen says, according to Tibetans, karma is what your thoughts and actions do to you. Like, you are what you eat. You become what you think and do. If you think and do bad th- bad stuff, uh, things create suffering things that create suffering for others it will take countless eons more time to achieve enlightenment hence countless eons more suffering for yourself that's considered to be the highest form of buddhism the diamond way very cool very interesting um and mavis says i believe karmic rewards and consequences extend over multiple lives um i can see I could see that possibility for sure. Um, but I also think that we can kind of cut them off at the past, you know, by making different choices. You know, one of the hardest choices for us to make at times is forgiving ourselves. Like we need to live in that constant state of um, personal anarchy or something. Crucify ourselves over and over and over again. Tony says, what goes around comes around. Those black catters will get their just dessert one day. They will never get rich or even make much money. Well, and ultimately, like, I'll be really honest. That stuff has bothered me a lot over the years. Like, really. And it still goes on. Um, Because it feels like a violation to me. Um, And whatever, but... Ultimately, I realized that 
I can't obsess about it. I can't focus on it. My, like, I'm a big fan of, you know, the ultimate form of revenge is success. Um, and so I would much rather focus on success, on love, on surrounding myself with people who I admire and, you know, all of that. Like, to me, that's the best form of revenge. Not that I'm just going to say, hey, guess what, everybody? I created a new course, you know, look great on your Black Hat site. Why don't you come and get it? I'll just give you a discount. Like, obviously, that's silly. And I'm not going to do that. But stupid is as stupid does. So I can gripe and complain. I mean, it's not to say that I won't still exercise my right under the law um, and issue, you know, take down notices and file complaints with the FBI or whatever. I mean, I'll still do that where it makes sense. But um, I can't let it consume me because then ultimately... You think about this. If I allow it to consume me and decide, you know what, screw it. I'm just, you know, if I don't create anything more, then guess what? They won't have anything to steal from me. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, who wins in that scenario? They do. I don't win. You don't win. You know, a lot of you follow me and invest in my trainings and courses because you're getting something out of it because you're learning from me or you enjoy hanging out. I don't know. I mean, there's obviously a reason. Um, and so I feel the weight of that. I feel the obligation of that and the responsibility of that. So for me to just quit and make a stupid choice like that would, I don't know. It's, that's not how I want to choose to live my life. I'd rather be a giver and, you know, stay focused on achieving something positive. Uh, William says, I think cause and effect can be weaponized when people confuse cause with correlation or association. In my work, I read a lot of published health-related research. Much research only determines a correlation or association between two things. Far too many people see the correlation only research uh, correlation only research results as being causative research and start promoting the results as being a cause effect relationship when it's not uh, while uh, maybe not rising to the good evil level the cause correlation issue is a real problematic issue in my um, niche employee health and well-being yeah i can totally see that and, and I can definitely see how that can be used from um, a weapon perspective. Absolutely. <laughs> Chris says, it's illegal to bake a cookie and not eat it. That's the definition of evil, honestly. Right? Especially if they're snickerdoodle cookies. I mean, that, like it has to be eaten. And funny story uh, related to that. The last time I made snickerdoodle cookies, I decided to um, use um, Bob's Red Mill flour, the gluten-free uh, all-purpose flour. Um, and so it's primarily bean flour based, which, you know, 
I never worked with it. So I had no idea, you know, all I knew is I wanted to make snickerdoodle cookies and Kristen um, has celiac. And so, you know, GF was the way to go as she was to enjoy them. And so I'm making these cookies and, uh, well, first of all, I discovered that whenever you're using, um, GF flour, like Bob's Red Mill, uh, and you know how normally we like to lick the spoon after we made the mix. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> it tastes horrid, like really, really bad. Um, like there's a chemical reaction that happens whenever you bake the cookies, but anyway, one of the cool things about it is that I made several dozen of these cookies and of course they didn't last really long. Um, I actually lost weight, like five pounds eating these uh, bean flour based snickerdoodle cookies. Um, so I joke with Kristen, we should start our own weight loss plan called the snickerdoodle weight loss plan or something. Um, just because I legitimately lost five pounds and I think a lot of it actually had to do with the bean flour. Um, but anyway, I digress. Uh, William says, my reactions to your story, what makes a house a home is subjective. I agree. Happiness is subjective. Subjectivity is convoluted. Far too often we make our choices without understanding our inversion of life. Yeah, I agree with that a lot, actually. But, you know, my response to that would be, uh, while all of that is absolutely true and I believe it, the good news is that we can still make different choices. Um, now, those choices may be influenced, and very often they are, uh, which is why I appreciate the last thing you said about uh, not understanding our own version of life. That really is key. And that's a, a an entirely different show, you know, of talking about uh, we've touched on that before, but understanding what it means to be the real me, like the real Tony. And that, as many of you know, has been a quest of mine for the last four years or so, about four years, is who is the real Tony? Um, and honestly, this uh, nerd and scripted thing is uh, exists because of that. Um, Mavis says, I appreciate your comments about choice being the important thing. It also relates to both good and evil and cause and effect. Choices, unfortunately, are in many cases governed by the negative, fear, greed, etc., rather than the positive, peace, joy, and gratitude. Exactly. Uh, Mark says, let's see, my father was raised Amish Mennonite. My mother converted him to Catholic when they, when they married. Many of the core beliefs are the same. I went to a Catholic school through grade school and was an altar boy, attended services many times a week throughout my childhood. Talk about nonstop right and wrong training brainwashing. I found nothing but grief from the trait I share with you of questioning everything. The you have to take a leap of faith answer to all the really hard questions led me to research on my own into religion as a whole. I was a pain in the butt about it for many years until I came to the same conclusion you did. Right and wrong, good and evil are all completely subjective, just like judging an art show, all based on what you know and believe. 
you have to do your own due diligence and choose the path that causes your internal compass the least stress because it's the stress that kills in more ways than one. Yeah, very cool. Uh, let's see, I'll just write, read down through some of these here. Uh, let's see, Robert says, Tony, perhaps a slightly different view. I'm an older guy that bought into mother's criticism when I was younger. I still fight this inner critic, and I know it is holding me back. It's easy to say, make a decision, but how do we enforce that decision? I want to shut up the inner critic or shut the inner critic up. It's a really great question. Um, I, I understand that for me to say, make a different choice or make a, a different decision, it's easy for me to say, and sometimes the walking out of that can be extremely challenging. How do you break a habit? How do you choose to think differently when in some cases you may not have context to even know what that means? You know? And uh, that's been kind of one of those ongoing things for me. Is that... Um, like I realized that there were certain things in my life that I allowed to be there for one reason or another that um, I saw as got me off the hook for taking responsibility. Um, and I'm not necessarily saying that this is you, Robert, but like one thing that comes to mind is um, uh, whenever I was young, I, I knew from like age 18 that I wanted to go into art in some form or another. Um, I actually wanted to go to college for photography. My folks didn't really have the money and um, I didn't really find any programs that suited me. But at, at the time, I wanted to get into fashion photography in New York and all of that. And, um, you know, mom and dad gave me the starving artist speech and uh, basically encouraged me to get a real job, which I did as a janitor. That was my first real job, janitor in a newspaper, who I later started taking pictures for. But um, as a result of that, there was this constant um, need in me to prove to them that I could make it as an artist. And... Uh, you know, so anytime I was shooting photos or whatever, I would show them the photos whenever I um, got into book design um, back in the early 90s. And, you know, every time I design a new book cover, I always had to show it to my parents uh, because I didn't realize it. But at the time, I needed to hear my dad say, well, wow, it's really cool, son. You know, I really like that a lot. Like, I needed that. And I think I shared a little bit of this previously. But whenever my dad died, I remember having the thought, oh, crap. You know, what am I going to do now? Because I can't get that from him anymore. Like, now what? <laughs> you know? 
And it was really perplexing. Like I didn't know what life looked like without getting that feedback from him, that approval from him. I didn't know what it would look like because I'd never lived my life that way. Uh, so it was a completely new experience for me. And ultimately what I discovered um, in moving past that was that it didn't matter whether my dad approved or not. What mattered was that I approved. That I had to be comfortable. I didn't need his approval. I didn't need his, you know, yes or no, you can do better, which I heard from him a lot when I was young. That's really good, but you can do better. Um, he thought he was encouraging me. I thought he was criticizing me. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny. Flip side, right? Um, and so whenever I came to the conclusion, which took a lot of soul searching, a lot of meditation, just kind of turning things over in my mind, which I do a lot, um, I realized if I'm okay with it, it's okay. And that really helped me a lot to move past that. Now, on the flip side of that years later, I mean, it's been almost 10 years, nine and a half years since dad's been gone. Um, I'll be honest. I mean, I feel like I've done some of my best work, some of my best photography, all of that. And I would love to show him just to share it with him, not for his approval, but just that I could share it with him. And yes, you can say, you know, he's still with us and he knows and all that kind of stuff. And I believe that, but still it's different than being able to drive over to his house, sit down next to his chair and say, check this out, dad, you know? Um, so there's that that I still miss, but as far as needing that approval from him, that's gone. I, I made a choice. It took me a while to figure out what that would even look like because I had no frame of reference for it. But ultimately it came down to how I viewed myself. That's really what it came down to. So maybe there's something in there that can help you with that. Tony says, wish I could be on the design training tonight, Tony, but it's the wrong time of day for me here in the UK. Uh, I'll be on the replay and the program dashboard later. Well, thanks. Um, I, I wish you could too. You know, I've actually had the thought of scheduling a training sometime just for uh, the time frames that would suit better for UK and Australia and all of that. And I'm still thinking about it. I mean, I live in the US, so it's real easy for me to cater to that because that's where I live, but I've often given thought to that and I'm not quite sure how my customers would respond, which is why I haven't done it. You know, no one else does that. So, but the more I think about it, the more I think it can make sense. <laughs> Chris says, cookies with bean flour means that cookies are vegetables, ergo main course. I like how you think, that's awesome. <laughs> Um, and Jessica says recipe. Um, I'll see if I can find it. Actually, I think the recipe that I used might have been Kristen's mom's or hers. It's in one of their two recipe books because they both have recipe books. Um, but I'll see if I can find it and post it on Facebook or something. 
Um, and Robert says, thank you. You're very welcome. And Mark says, thanks, Tony, for the thoughtful pause in my day. And yay, snickerdoodle die plan. Exactly. Now i got to get more. I have to make more now. <laughs> we named our cat Snickerdoodle. Like, I couldn't let it go, you know. But anyway, thank you all very much uh, for joining me today. I really appreciate um, those of you who are here live or if you're listening to the replay. Thank you for listening. And uh, next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern, we'll have another show. I may actually have a special guest on. I'm trying to work out the details. Um, he has a lot of experience in ghost hunting and has gotten some really great results, like as, as far as proof, like EVPs and video and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, he just happens to work for us. He's one of our employees, manager of our nerd store. Uh, and so I'm working out the logistics of when he's supposed to be working. I mean, I know his boss, so we might be able to flex the time <laughs> a little bit. But uh, so um, chances are likely he will be with us next Tuesday to talk about um, ghost hunting and differences uh, in some of the experiences that he's had and everything. So we'll see. Uh, if not next week, probably the following week. But anyway, I hope you all enjoy your 4th of July week. You know, go blow stuff up safely <laughs> and celebrate the holiday. And uh, we'll talk again soon.